0: Last week, we celebrated Easter, a celebration of Jesus defeating death and making the kingdom of God accessible and available to us all. The kingdom of heaven is now among us. This is the good news of the resurrection. But a challenge still remains. It's not always easy to live the way that Jesus lived. Sometimes we try and we try and we try again. And there are just certain parts about us that simply just don't change. Making it impossible for us to embrace, to fully allow ourselves to embrace the new life that is offered by the resurrection. As a church... The direction that I feel the Spirit of God leading us in is for us to look at the life of Jesus in detail to be able to live the life that we are called to live. We will be taking a journey together and walking through the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is a detailed account of the life of Jesus where it shows us the way to be able to live our lives the way that we're intended to live as followers of Jesus. To be new means that the old needs to be put to death. To be made new means that there is a transformation that needs to take place. Our Christian walk is a walk of spiritual formation. In other words, following Jesus is a life of transformation. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In 1970, American writer Richard Bach wrote a short book called Jonathan Livingston Siegel. When this book first appeared, there was hardly any interest in it. It took two years before this book started flying off the shelves. In 1972, it made the New York bestsellers, and it is considered by some a classic read in writing. This book tells a simple story about Jonathan, a seagull, who is not satisfied with simply being a seagull. When he looks at his life and the life of all the seagulls around him, he's dissatisfied with that life. Because he's like, man, a life of a seagull is worthless. He complains about the nothingness that exists in his life and that all they do is eat and fight. Fight and eat. So Jonathan begins to test the limits of his life to try to fly higher than any other seagull and to go faster than any other seagull before. Jonathan tries everything to break out of the limitations that exist and him being a seagull at times he's successful in being faster and flying higher than any other seagull but most of the time he fails miserably he crashes many times almost kills himself on several occasions but he is resilient and just keeps on trying why do you think this story grabbed the attention of millions of people This simple story about a seagull captivated the lives of millions of people because this is a simple parable of the story of our human hearts. It describes the search, the aching, the desire for every single one of us to push the limits, to become something that is bigger than ourselves. There is an internal desire in all of us. That is why this story resonates. The desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And like Jonathan, we spend most of our time unsatisfied with the lives that we're given. So we test the limitations to try to make something of ourselves. We spend our time working away. Yet something deep inside of us tells us that there's still something more out there. Something else out there that must be attained. Since the beginning of time, we have been fascinated and captivated by this search and desire to attain and make sense of this kind of unknown feeling that's inside every single one of us. Philosophers call it the desire of a part to return to the whole. The mystics of the Christian faith call it a desire, um, the spark of the divine in us. The Greeks use the word called nostos, meaning it's like a homesickness. This feeling is like a homesickness, a restlessness that just continues to persist and just kind of leave us unsettled. Our lives become a journey in which we set out to try to quench this desire. We become trailblazers, paving the way, oftentimes trying to do something new. And in this journey, we become influenced by the very same world that we're trying to stand out from. For us that live in America, the options and opportunities that we have are far better than most parts of the world. So it's easy for us to go in many different directions. But the irony is is that we all end up in the same place. Unsettled and restless. This country was founded on the basis of religious freedoms. You know, people looking to do something new and different. A different way of expressing their faith without the oppression of the government. Let's take a personal story from my life. My parents migrated from both Mexico and Guatemala in hopes of a better life for themselves and for the children that they would one day have. They left family behind, what they knew in hopes of making something of themselves here. Even though this was a foreign and new world and hardly any family here, any support, the potential for something better was worth the risk of migrating thousands of miles to make it here to America. My joke is that they got tired so they stopped here in Southern California because they couldn't go any further but that's okay. But there's still people, thousands of people that migrate that risk their lives, leave their families behind for a chance at a better life. The American dream is all about taking advantage of the opportunities that we're given to be successful. Success is the standard, the bar that is set And that's what all of us begin to aim for. The way that success is defined is that it's a favorable and prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors, journeys, the accomplishment of one's goals, the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or performance, achievement that is marked by success or by the attainment of honors. This idea of success It's just big enough. It feels like it's just big enough to fulfill this internal desire, this restlessness that we have of something more. So we naturally begin to chase after it. We orient ourselves in this direction and we begin to define ourselves by the metrics of success. But what's interesting, and then bear with me because this is going to be my ESL coming out, We compartmentalize our life into buckets that include health, finances, family, work, spirituality. And what we do with these buckets is we set goals to determine whether we're being successful in those areas or not. And before we know, we find ourselves in the same place as most people, in the same track that everybody's running, chasing after the same thing. The difference is is that we're so focused on the goals that we neglect to see the condition that actually lives and exists within us. And we continue, and what happens is we become more tired, more restless, because there are simply not enough hours in the day to meet the demands that our goals require or the demands that we place on ourselves and the external pressures that exist. When we have moments that slow us down, we begin to sense and kind of recognize that we're tired. So we try to look to find an answer to a problem and we turn to vacations. And when we return from those vacations, we're more tired than when we left and we need a vacation from our vacations. Or we look to meditation. We look at alcohol. We look at drugs, we look at all these different things to try to escape, to try to fill in that void. And when all else fails, we turn to Jesus. We seek his help, desiring rest, desiring something different. Wanting the new life that is offered by the cross. We become enamored by his message of peace, of rest, of forgiveness. And the love that Jesus offers, but still deep down we question whether this will be the answer that we're seeking. So I think it it leads us to a natural question of how do we live in this new life that is offered by the resurrection? How do we live in the unforced rhythms of grace? Because when we're born, there isn't a set of instructions that parents are handed. So this is how you parent. This is how you're going to create a great human being. Our influence to our children comes from the influence that exists in our lives. These are the instructions that we pass on to our children. Therefore, internally, if the way we live our lives is heavily defined and influenced by the pressures of success, that is the framework, those are the instructions that we pass on to our kids. We approach our spiritual lives as another compartment in line with all the others. Our works, our religious ways become methods in which we seek to attain rightful standing with God. When we live our lives by compartmentalizing everything that we do, The methods that bring us success, we subconsciously take them, and we take the same approach into our spiritual lives as well. It just naturally happens. We do it without thinking. We set goals like in our walk with Jesus, because we do that in every other area of our lives. So when we think about seeking change and the transformation in our lives, we believe the lie that it's up to us that the change that we're seeking is ultimately in our hands. The character uh, change that comes from the new life that Jesus promises is ultimately a byproduct of what we do. I'm in the driver's seat. One of the problems of living our lives this way is that it shorthands, it shortchanges God. God becomes a lifeline, if you will. He becomes a last resort. Only when I'm really in trouble am I gonna to turn to him. Only when my life is really broken, it's only when my marriage is about on the brink of divorce that I will turn to him. When we approach our lives as another bucket, we end up with the list of things to do. And the interesting thing is that we end up just as tired, just as frustrated, confused, and worse. We can grow in contempt and settle for the life that we have, thinking this is it. I can't wait till I die and go to heaven. We begin to think and believe that our value and God's love for us comes from what we do. This way of living is called sin management. Sin management or behavior modification is when we look at the life of Jesus, and use the spiritual practices as a way to attain rightful standing with God. Going to church, reading our Bible, being a part of a small group, serving, even our financial contributions subtly become a way of us earning God's love. When we focus on managing our behavior, the transformation that we seek doesn't fully take place because it's just not the roots aren't deep enough and we begin to live within a duality where we're one thing in the outside world but in our private lives in those tight spaces especially with our families especially with those closest to us we're something completely different and we blame the distance that we feel between us and god or the lack of progress in our faith to a lack of self-control. So we try everything under the stars to try to attain a mastery over these parts of us that ultimately we cannot change. So what do we do there? Like How do, how do, we, how do we figure that out? We begin to live our lives as kind of like this up and down pattern where the rhythm is we have mountaintop moments where things are great, Fantastic. Work is good. Marriage is good. Kids are doing great. We just got a raise. We got a promotion. Things are great. And then valleys where things aren't going so well. Man, I feel like me and my wife are about to get a divorce. Man, my kid is driving me crazy. Either he's going to kill me or I might kill him. Joking. I'm joking. Right? Some valleys. Man, my my, my girlfriend just broke up with me. I'm lonely. I mean, the, the valleys. And we believe that this, like, up-down rhythm is normal. So we end up in a cycle that looks to add more and more to our calendars, and yet we're still left feeling like Jesus is distant. Or even worse, he's further away than when we started this journey with him. So we settle for few moments... Where we experience Him, when a message speaks to us, when a song moves us, and they just kind of become sprinkles on our um, on our ice cream on our ice cream. So those are just moments. Let me use kind of like this um, illustration. When you go out to buy a car to kind of explain this behavior modification, when you go out to buy a car, what do we do? Depends on your personality type. You might spend a few minutes, a few hours, a few weeks, months, or even years researching the type of car that you're after. And the minute you get into the freeway, you start noticing that car everywhere, right? Depending on how much research you've done, you see that you recognize the color, you recognize the year, you probably even recognize the package that it comes with. What happened here? Did God decide to play a joke on you and say, I'm gonna go spend, I'm gonna go send hundreds of people to go buy that same car so that you can see it everywhere and be confused? I don't, that's highly unlikely. What took place is that we changed our behavior. We spent time learning, focusing on something. So now when we're out and about, you notice something that was already there. The same thing happens in our spiritual faith. When we hit some valleys, we begin to question and wonder, why is this happening to me? So we try to find a rational solution. And most of the time, we realize that it's probably because, or we justify it, and say, hey, it's probably because I stopped going to church. It's probably because I stopped reading my Bible. It's probably because I stopped giving to the church. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. We all do it. So then, we go into modify the behavior. We say, we're going to go to church. I'm going to spend time in my Bible. I'm going to do this. So what do we do? We start this like upward thing, and we start seeing God. We start sensing Him. Just to get to the place where we feel comfortable, we feel safe enough, and then we kind of let our arms down and we just kind of want to go to cruise control again until another dip. That's what behavior modification looks like in the church, in our spiritual lives. We will see God if we start going to church more. We will experience him if we start reading our Bible more. But this up-down pattern... It's not normal, even though it feels that way. Because we tend to see God as a circumstantial God. That's what happens underneath. God is good when things are good. We may not say it out loud, but that's what actually starts happening internally. Oh man, life is crap right now so god must be punishing me god must be distant why is he distant oh it's because of the sin in my life because i'm not I stopped doing this and that's this vicious cycle that we end up living our lives in and that's honest that's untrue because a conditional love of god is unbiblical the consistent thing about god is his love is unconditional love. So when we start putting conditions on him based on our circumstances, it doesn't line up with the God that we worship. The truth is, is that God's goodness is not based on our circumstances. God is good despite of our circumstances. God's love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. His love for you is based on what has already been done on the cross for you. I want that to sink in today. God's love for you is not based on what you do or don't do. His love for you is based on what has already been done for you on the cross by Jesus Christ. When we look at the life of Jesus, there's something to the way that he lived his life. He lived his life in a way that was radically different from everybody else. He lived his life from the love that God had for him. And we never see that he had to work to attain this love. It was given to him. And his very first uh, public act, like um, before he went into the wilderness, he was baptized. God parted the heavens and said, this is my beloved son in who I'm well pleased. That was it. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't fed anybody. He hadn't taught anything. Jesus was just being Jesus. This is the gift that Jesus offers all of us. A way of living our lives that is about learning to receive the Father's love. Jesus didn't come to fix human behavior. He went beyond that and showed us that the the key to transformation lies solely in the hands of a loving Father. Our life is about integrating all of who we are and allowing the Spirit of God to transform us. Spiritual formation or transformation can be defined this way. Uh, This is Dallas Willard's definition. It's a spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self, like the heart, in such a way that it becomes the inner being of Christ himself. In other words... This is the process in which the Spirit of God touches the deepest parts of us, of our being, and transforms us. Paving the way for us to become more like Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, you could turn to Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' invitation for all of us. This is almost like the first step in to the kingdom after accepting him. Accepting him, he's just showing us the door. He's like, hey, you want to come in? That's salvation. But this passage of scripture, the spiritual formation, this journey, is like the first step in. The first thing that this passage shows us, this invitation that Jesus has for us is to learn To be with Jesus. To learn to be with him. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is extending an invitation to something new and something different. Come to me. It's the invitation of Jesus into kingdom living. There is something here in these three words that is often missed. Jesus' invitation is not hurried at all. There is no urgency in it. It's a gentle invitation. It is full of love and compassion. When he says, all of you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Jesus is addressing, he's kind of identifying, he's putting a criteria to who this invitation is for. Everyone who is tired, exhausted, restless by the weight that comes from the emptiness of the self-help, life hacks, and the formulas that lead us to believe that we can attain wholeness on our own strength. I don't know about you, but that's me. (laughs) That's me. I get caught up trying to prove my love to God, and it's just exhausting. How is Jesus asking you this question? How are you receiving it? How are you receiving this invitation, I should say? When you hear the words, come to me, Not for me. But how is Jesus inviting you? And if you feel like a resistance, if you feel like a hesitation, I think that's where the Spirit of God might be inviting you to explore. That's what it means to learn to be with Him. We're going to explore these uh, points further in the upcoming weeks today is just kind of want to kind of give like a just kind of bring awareness to him the next three weeks we're actually going to explore these three points deeper um and I and I completely understand if this feels new if this feels weird because it is countercultural. what do you mean I, the first step to kingdom living is to learn to be with him it's so counter everything that we've we've learned and the way we the way we're wired the second point is to learn from him. It's just simply to learn from Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest in your souls. Rest for your souls. Yoke, I'm, I'm sure there's a passage everyone has heard, is a wooden tool attached to two animals and is used to plow a field. Now this, it's to help lighten the burden, if you will. Now this may seem odd to us. How does a yoke translate to us? Like We're not animals, like we don't plow fields. But what Jesus is doing here when he spoke this is he's just using common language to use to the people around them. Most of these people were farmers. They were field workers. So a yoke for us is not a wooden tool for us to carry a heavy load, a yoke represents a relationship. It is a way of doing our lives with Jesus together. It is a way of love. That's how this burden is lighter. Because we're doing it with Jesus. Today, I think for me, the way that I would I would translate it, so the Lalo translation of this would be, Hey, take my hand. Let's do this together. Let's do this life together. You can trust me. I've been through this. What you're going through, I've been through it. I understand the pain. I understand the struggle. With me, you will find what you're looking for. Jesus understands and can relate to what we're going through because Jesus was human. He himself learned to trust in God's love. He learned to listen to God's Spirit. He learned how to overcome temptation. He was human. And in his humanity, he developed an intimate relationship with the Father. This is what his life embodied a life of devotion to God because he was full of God's love. And we're invited to learn from Jesus how we can carry a relationship that will ultimately allow us to live in that same intimacy that he lived with God, his Father. Jesus is a friend. He's a brother. Willing to show us how to follow his example. We need to learn from him. The third point is to do what Jesus did. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This life is not so much about what we do for God as much as it is doing life with God. Let that sink in. Our lives are not so much about what we do for Him, but what we do with Him. Two very big differences. God cares far more about us doing this life, inviting Him into everything that we do. This means that we're not just aware of His presence. We are actually intentionally living our lives in His presence. That is the kingdom of the heavens. He is here and now. His presence reigns. It's all over this world. Jesus lived his life with an intentionality of always being connected to the Father. He was in close relationship with him. He was always communing with him. In other words, They were always together. A lot of this happened internally within Jesus. We just get the external accounts. But very few times we get those small glimpses of his interactions between him and God. You know what those are called? You know what that's called? That intimacy that he had with God? It's called prayer. It's called prayer. That's what intimacy with God looks like. Prayer. Externally, though, God's love overflowed from Jesus to the world. This overflow is what healed people, how miracles manifested themselves, how Jesus loved those that were marginalized and ultimately what led him to become the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. It was God's love flowing through him. This is how we're called to build the kingdom of God. By doing what Jesus did and allowing God's love to overflow from us to reach those that are lost, hurting, and hopeless. I'm going to butcher this, but St. Francis of Assisi had a beautiful quote. He said, go, it's kind of something along the lines of, like, go out and do good in the world. But the fewer words you use, the better. It's fascinating. It means it's, 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 it's our loving actions. People can experience the love of God through us. Because it's not us that are doing all of these things. It's God's love through us. This is how we become the salt of the world and the light that's on a hill. When people come into contact with us, they will taste our saltiness. Do you know what saltiness does? It makes people aware of their thirst. And then... When people are like, hey, how can I experience this? How, how, where, where do you have this hope? What's new? What's different about you? We point them to the source of living water, which is Jesus Christ. In closing, we cannot live with the Spirit of God in us and remain the same. It's just not possible. The Spirit of God is what transforms us. Our part is to constantly bring ourselves to Him and receive His Spirit that ultimately transforms us. We can spend our entire lives trying to fix ourselves, trying to change ourselves, and we will always run into a wall. Because it's the Spirit of God, the only one that can truly bring Life change. I believe it was Eugene Peterson that said this that humans make lousy sacrifices because they're always running away from the altar. That's our job. That's why it's our journey. It will be forever our journey with Jesus. Because when things get too uncomfortable, we run away. We seek security, we seek safety, we seek comfort. And our job is to continue to come back to him. Continue to come back to him. Because our natural instinct is to run away, to hide. Bill Gaultier, a man who has been incredibly influential in my life, explained this passage this way. He said, the easy yoke of Jesus is doing hard things in a relationship with him. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It just becomes a little bit lighter because we're doing it with Jesus. Life following Jesus does not um, exempt us from going through pain, going through challenges, and going through hard times. The difference is, is that the hope that we live by, the hope and the love that lives in us, keeps us steady we go from this cycle to understanding that the hope is what keeps us steady because our eyes are focused on Jesus because we know and believe that he's in us that's why a lot of Christian writers a lot of saints, a lot of mystics of the faith they talk about our pilgrimage, our journey with Jesus as being in a desert. And I'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. But they talk about it being a desert because it does feel dry. It feels lonely. It feels challenging. Where we flirt with moments of consolation and desolation. Moments where we feel and experience the God of the, the love of God and moments where it just feels like, man, I'm out here by myself. I feel like I'm, where are you, God? But even an absence, even a desolation is an experience of God. So what is Jesus inviting you to today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your love, your kindness, for always pursuing us always being there for us. Even when we feel we're too far gone, you're always there. Forgive us of our stubbornness, of our pride. Or would you fill us with your spirit, God? Would you bring healing to those parts in our lives that are broken? Would you strengthen us lighten our burden when the when the weight of guilt, of shame, and anxiety comes in to try to crush us. Would you allow us to see your hand being extended? Would you allow us to hear your voice saying, come with me. Trust me. I see you our hearts to hear those words. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Amen.